Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available, unprospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you again for joining me. My name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. This is your first time uh, tuning into the Talent Talk Radio Show. We really try to feature a wide range of guests who are uniquely talented and care about talent themselves. So in this show, we talk about talent in those two ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders and HR providers find the best candidates today. Hopefully you see how that works. The word talent has a couple different meanings in the business world, and we really look to explore those two areas. My guests typically include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives, coaches, uh, recruiters, uh, just all, all kinds of great people from all different industries. So generally what happens is I'm out at networking events or conferences, and I had the privilege of meeting some really inspiring leaders all the time. And instead of us having this really great conversation that only the two of us know about, I decided to create this forum to allow you to listen in on our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will impact your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guest today, I want to thank the, those of you who are tuning in live, don't forget you can uh, submit your questions via Twitter right now. Just tweet your questions, suggestions, comments, opinions, whatever it is, to at PeopleG2 and use that uh, hashtag, Talent Talk. All one word, Talent Talk. So the hashtag and then Talent Talk. My producer, Mike, will feed me the best questions and we'll try to work them into the show. Don't forget, uh, you can also listen to this show via a podcast. Uh, most people do it via iTunes, but Android and other uh, platforms, can you can pick it up there as well. And uh, you can subscribe to have the weekly show sent to you. So far, uh, as of today, we're just about to the 22,000 listener mark on our podcast feed, and we're really proud of that. And thank you for those of you who are listening in on when it's convenient for you at your kid's soccer game, uh, the treadmill, or car ride home, wherever it may be you're listening to us. We really so with that said, let me get today's show started. My guests today include Bill Pepler, the managing partner of Cavalero, who I met over at the uh, Inc. 5000 conference, uh, and his company has been doing some great things. And also Don Kohler, who's a lo- local president and CEO of the Inside Coach. Don will be joining me at the second half of the show. But uh, let's get to my first guest. Bill, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for joining me. Uh, how's uh, sunny Florida doing? Life in Florida is beautiful. I'm looking out my window, probably 80 degrees. Uh, the humidity hasn't come in just yet, but uh, still pretty uh, amazing place to live and work. Typically, when I talk to people from Florida, I, it's a few times that I can actually have a pleasant conversation about the weather because with everybody else, usually they're complaining. Being in California myself, we're usually pretty happy about it. So, Absolutely. Uh, you know, <laughs> there are a couple months over the summer, it gets a little sure. unbearable, but uh, we'll take it to nine months out of 12 for sure. Yeah, even if it's terrible, you still have a nice view, right? <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your growing company, uh, Cavalero. 
Yeah, thank you, Chris. And it was great to meet you at the uh, Inc. 500 5000 event, uh, which we've been a part of uh, for Cavalier. We've been honored to be on that list for the last three years. Most recently, uh, ranked 438 on the Inc. 500 piece. It's just something we're we're really proud of uh, to have not only be on the list once, but to have somewhat of a legacy there. Um, we are uh, primarily an IT staffing and consulting company um, specialized in software development. Uh, anything ranging from software testing up to software architects and application development. We work with about 28 of the Fortune 500 customers, but a lot of customers that you may not may not have heard from. We have six offices across the country. I'm based here in Orlando, Florida. Uh, we have offices where I was today, earlier today, in Tampa, Florida, Jacksonville, Florida, Washington, D.C., Charlotte, North Carolina, and most recently our Government Services Division, which we launched uh, about nine months ago. Personally, I've been in the industry now for close to 17 years. Started my career at a company called Technosource and then spent seven years at Robert Half International, and, and now we've been doing uh, Cavaliero, which I was a co-founder of with two of my other partners since uh, 2010. So we're coming up on our four, four-and-a-half-year anniversary. So we've had great success, and uh, I attribute all that to our people who work for us on a daily basis. So you have you know this extensive experience in the staffing industry. How have you seen this type of industry change and grow? You know, as more companies have come to rely on you know, your type of expertise for their hiring, especially in that IT area. Yeah, well, the industry certainly has completely changed since I've been. I think I started in uh, December of 1996, and at that point, uh, we were flipping files of resumes and had Rolodex on our desks, uh, certainly faxing of resumes. And, you know, those are the early days of the job boards of Career Builder and Monster and uh, Dice as well, and, and just starting that process and, and then going through, you know, the Y2Ks, the dot-com boom and bust, and, and certainly after uh, the downfalls with um, after September 11th and what's happened over the last few years with the financial crisis. It's been, it's been a whirlwind, certainly, it seems like, well, in IT, I think it was more adopted than people use project link staffing, uh, much more so than the rest of other industries within a company. But now it seems more commonplace. Um, in fact, it's used as a strategy of growth. Uh, I saw some recent statistics that said that the industry as a whole is about a $200 billion industry and growing. Uh, a lot of that's being attributed to the way our country and the world actually employs people, gearing more towards project-based employment. A lot of what you heard through um, health care reform has certainly led to that. And I think the nature of how people are employed, my father worked for two companies so over a 45-year lifespan, and now the average length of, of a job for someone who's coming out of college is, is three and a half years. And certainly, in, I think I saw a statistic that said in 1984, that was 12 years. So from 84 to 2000. 14, that's dropped tremendously, and it, I think it's going to go more towards project and cyclical-based employment. People are, are probably going to end up with having these huge resumes over time, and that may become the norm where you work for 12, 14, 20 companies over your career, and maybe that's not I agree. That's not a problem. You know, that's not. That's just a, a really a reflection of the marketplace and how people are hiring more so than, like you said, having your father's legacy of working for two, two companies over 45 years. I just think, unless you're the owner, Unless you're the, the entrepreneur, that's probably not going to be something that most people will ever experience. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Chris. So Cavalier really you know, recruits for a specialized market of that IT and engineering that you, you mentioned. So what are some of the challenges you face in trying to find the best talent that's out there? And 
Conversely, where do you find, you know, that kind of that most success for you? Good question. Um, you know, our industry, knock on wood, has seen, it was especially within the technology space, and we've been looking at less than 2% unemployment for the last three, four years. Certainly, I think the most recent statistics said the overall general population is, is now getting in the low sixes, which is great news uh, for the economy, and I think all signs are pointing to the recovery for our economy. But the space for IT talent has been less than 2%, so it's been a challenge to find qualified people. You'll see many more job postings available than you will see qualified candidates, um, especially when you talk about how technology is being used by companies. I think, you know, it's being used as a way to combat the recovery, uh, ways to in- enhance technology to increase revenue, to add to the bottom line of companies, or to reduce costs. So how, are, how are they using cloud computing or voice over IP technology to reduce costs for co- company um uh, the bottom lines, the balance sheets. So uh, we've been having a harder time finding candidates than we would find opportunities to place our people. And, you know, I think one of the things is uh, that made Cavaliero successful, as I mentioned earlier, our people, but really we, we've been early adopters to technology, recruiting through social media. You know, I think people are now becoming more apt to recruiting through Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn for sure, and been an early adopter of that. We've had a mobile app through the App Store, through the iTunes App Store for now coming up on our third year with that. We've had great success putting our jobs in people's hands, literally, and, you know, seeing where the traffic is coming from our our mobile sites and, and finding out that 70% of people that are coming to the Cavalier website are coming through mobile technology. I think certainly that's an evolving, evolving trend, but uh, that's, you know, some of the things that we've had success with. Um, never, you know, all the great technology that you have, you never can take away the personalized service and the part of recruiting and sourcing and finding talent and making matches and the cultural fit, I think, is so important. And it's something that we really pride ourselves on, to know our customers, to know what they're looking for, and to find that right person for them. Well, any company that's dealing with IT, engineering, it's very tech, you know, filling technical people really should be early, early adopters. And I know we, we got our first introduction uh, many years back when it was really a technology play. It was based on some, some synergies there with integrations and, and things. So it makes perfect sense if you guys are really, you know, playing on those strengths uh, and, and being early adopters to what's happening out there uh, in the marketplace that just goes hand in hand with, you know, those kinds of candidates that you're, you're finding. And then hopefully is it also translating in for your clients as well. Just kind of based on what you said, I'm wondering, you know, if you were giving advice to someone who was looking to get into the types of jobs that you fill, are there particular, you know, skill sets or degrees or types of a person that are just slam dunks to get jobs right now? It's a great question. I was at a conference earlier today over in Tampa, as I mentioned. It was uh, put on by the Tampa Bay Technology Forum, and they had leaders of CIOs of, of some of the largest retail organizations in the country, uh, one being Bell's, uh, the other one being Chico's, a woman's uh, a clothing store, mm-hmm. and then uh, the CIO of Home Shopping Network. And, and all of them pointed to uh, one of the biggest skill sets that they're missing is that mix of technology but also with the business sense. So somebody who can translate what they're talking about to the non-technology people within the organization. So somebody whose career might be a, a program manager, a project manager, or a business analyst, that role has become more and more crucial to the overall business of the organization. So, you know, when you're taught, when I, I get a chance to talk to students, whether they're in high school or in college, uh, you know, computer science degree is fantastic. Electrical engineering degree is fantastic. Um, but don't, 
don't shortchange a degree that's, a, you know, an MIS degree. That's a mix of business and computer science because more and more that, that when I started in the industry, you know, you could put the IT person in the back of the room and nobody could bother that person. They could bring out, mm-hmm. you know, whatever they're developing and, and then here it would go. But now, as I mentioned earlier, technology is at the forefront of everything. They're sitting with accounting. They're sitting with human resources. They're sitting with the C-level team trying to find ways to drive revenue. And their uh, that technology is driving the the economic recovery. I truly believe so. Don't shortchange yourself on an MIS degree. I know some programs have uh, done away with that program, but anytime you could look at unemployment with less than two percent, and the market is still. I mean, you could see that we're as a country we're not producing enough talent to fill the jobs that we have. You know, we still have to go and, and approve. I think fifty thousand H one B visa candidates to fill the jobs that we have. It's an issue for sure, for sure in our country, not producing enough talent to fill the need that we have. Well, you bring up an interesting point that having that bridge person who can, you know, bring in a management together with tech or, you know, whether it's projects. So I'm sure, you know, as companies are growing, they have these large initiatives where accounting and maybe HR are going to be doing something together. They need someone who not only can make it happen technically, but can listen and communicate and and handle that from a management perspective, but also if you don't understand what's happening on a technical level too, that person just becomes so important. So it kind of gets into the, the area of managing your talent, you know, making sure you have the right place, the right people in the right placement. So maybe you could talk to examples that you've seen with your clients or maybe in examples with Cavalier with the incredible growth that you've had on how talent management has really played a role in the success of the growth of a company? That's a great question. And I think for us, and when I look at Cavalier, when we're making hires for our internal team, and I'm sitting in a corporate office today, and you know, something that the mantra that we try to go by is to hire for our culture and we'll train for the skill sets. You know, I think culture for us is king. When you walk into our office, you can separate ourselves from every other staffing and recruiting company in there just by the overall feel and the energy of the office. And for us, it's very important when we hire people to hire people that fit within our culture. And that, that came to us pretty early on. When we started our company being headquartered in Orlando, you think about what company has the world's most foremost training programs. And there, you know, you think of a few, a few different companies, but one of the ones that I always think about, and maybe because they're in my backyard, but it's, it's Disney and Walt Disney World. And, uh, we went through as a company very early on Disney Institute corporate training program, and they really helped shape who we wanted to be as a company and helped us with our core values and mission statements and, you know, what, what makes Cavalier who we are. And that culture came directly from them. I mean, we, we knew we wanted to hire for culture and then we trained for skill sets. So, and I see that from organizations, you know, as I mentioned earlier, interpersonal skills or soft skills are becoming so important to, uh, to anyone, regardless of role. So you'll, you'll have two people that can be technically capable, but the one person who has the, the more well-rounded soft skills or interpersonal skills, that person's going to get hired seven times out of ten more so than the other person. So don't miss out on culture. If you're going to, if you're going to miss out uh, and take someone for for um, who doesn't overall qualifications or may have four out of five check marks on the job description, if they fit your culture, take that chance. That's worked well for us as a company. Um, and, and regardless of where I am and what office I am for Cavaliero, you know, I was going to ask you what you thought made your company unique or different from other other companies. It sounds like. Uh, you know, in part, you guys specialize in a particular skill set for people, but this idea of culture that really hiring for that uh, might be the answer. Uh, I'll let you respond. Maybe maybe you have more to that answer, but it sounds like that would be a big mm-hmm. component. 
No doubt. When I recruited in uh, Seattle, Washington, you know, there was there's companies uh, at that time. This is when Amazon was just getting started, and we were doing some recruiting for Amazon. And you know, when you walked into Amazon, you could have green hair, you could have tattoos. You know, you would commonly stay after work with a six pack of beer and, and continue the, the discussion of work and why leave when some of the greatest ideas may come out from a happy hour versus you know another big client of mine was Boeing where everybody wear you know shirt and tie and heavy starch shirts and you couldn't wear anything other than white um, you know white shirts and certainly a tie but you know you recruited and what the piece that we do is not only matching skill sets but matching the culture fit so that's where we come in and play um, and that piece, I think, is, is just as important to our team to understand what the clients are looking for, what's the position, and not only describing what, how it plays in within technology, but how does this person fit within the overall organization. And then our recruiters and staff translate that to our client candidate base, which we now have about 350 consultants working for us in 28 states on any given projects and you get to know these people, really treat them well, and hopefully, you know, if they're helping one client and they finish that project, they can come in and help another Cavaliero client. So it's our job to, to be that middleman, if you will, and find the right culture fit. Do you have a maybe a simple example you might give us? And I understand you might be kind of oversimplifying, but, uh, you know, something you might really point to that would describe or help us understand what it is about, you know, your culture you know, can you identify something about Cavalier's culture that you, you talked about when you're looking at hiring somebody for a particular set versus something else? Yeah, within Cavalier's, certainly. I mean, I think you know, one of our core values is an empowered workforce. To have an empowered workforce, you have to have also a team that's self-motivating. You have to have somebody who's going to look at their daily schedule and saying, okay, what do I need to get done today and, and how am I going to accomplish that without having somebody over their shoulder micromanaging them. Um, I came from larger corporate environments that relied on a certain type of structure or a recipe for their uh, daily success. And, and here we ha- we certainly have meetings, but the, f- the structure is a little bit more flexible into the daily play. Um, and I think that helps us in how we separate that. But th- it takes the right individual who can come in and say, well, here's what I need to get accomplished. I have myself to look at at the end of the day if I don't fit these needs. I'm relying on myself for certainly our employees or have a combination for their compensation of a base salary plus commission. So I know if my commission is not what I want it to be, I can look at myself uh, for one of the things. But then my, my team also relies on myself. So, uh, you know, that, that's us here at Cavalier when I'm talking about sales and recruiting side. But that translates to when we hire for our back office team for our finance and accounting and human resources and even IT when we do our own hiring for a company. And you have to have people who are self-motivated can to get things done. Uh, you know, when you're working for a company that's really – you know, the growth that we've had since 2010 has been completely impressive, but it's also been really scary. I mean, you strap on and say, okay, here's the rocket ship ride of revenue growth, and we've grown from $3 million to mid-30s right now. Last year, we finished a shade on a $27 million in revenue. That doesn't happen without having the right people in place, you know, without having the right structure and organizations and systems in place to allow for that success. So you have to have people who can be self-guided, you're there to help them, but you also give them enough to kind of make their own way in the world. And I think our staff responds to that. Yeah, and we've I've tried to categorize that in a particular way because it sounds like a lot of the guests that we've had and a lot of the companies we've talked about have this very similar thing that, that we have in it at my company, People G2, uh, with this idea of mastery that you know people need to have the skill sets and need to be working towards becoming you know, the best at what they're doing. 
Um, so that, that's training. That's, you know, part of that's uh, self-starting and, and going out there and finding out what they need. But there's a level of autonomy. That's kind of, I think, really what you were really focusing on was they need to have the ability to go out there and get the job done, that no one's going to micromanage them. And there are people who can really thrive in that in atmosphere of autonomy. I think anyone can, but they need to have all the right pieces in place. And, you know, that, that third thing is purpose. Uh, sounds like you guys, with, with some of those exercises you did with that uh, Disney Institute, kind of came up with what your purpose was, your mission and statement, and it was pretty clear, and that you're training the right people, bringing them in, and allowing them to go out there and get that work done without, you know, having 15 meetings about a topic, and, uh, you know, no one can make a decision unless it's by committee or with the things like that. And will you be able to keep that, or how will you have to adjust as you continue to grow? Because I, it, right. you know, it's, it's easier at three million. You know, it's probably okay at fifteen. At thirty, you're probably it's probably still going good. But you guys will start to have to think about how do you make, keep that from app from changing, you know, into something more dare I say corporate, you know, something you know Fortune right. one hundred, you know. You're right, and that's uh, you know we made we made a significant hire this past actually January of 2013 when we brought on our CFO Jennifer Miller, and certainly she brought some some structure and some some added some discussion to the table when we were making hiring decisions where we really used to just hire off a gut feel. Well, now there's a scientific formula to us. And um, so we've, we've changed that. But the key is for us to not show that to our clients where when we talk about empowered workforce, well, we wanted to make sure that we take away the clutter of how our job, if you think about it, is pretty simple. You, you have an open job. You have a candidate, you put the two together, and you put the person to work. Well, so many companies get in the way of that simple piece of finding somebody work, whether it's contracts or systems or legal departments and human resources. Well, you know, we are striving every single day to take away that clutter between the client relationship and our, and our staffing managers. And so we try to give them tools to be successful. Technology has helped us out a ton. The financial back office team has allowed our team to be successful. Innovation, creating technologies. We, you know, we look at different apps and with our ATS and which is our CRM system and we found ways to make that better through technology, you know, delivering to our customers through technology that has helped that process out. But you're right. It's something we think about every single night. You know, it works for us now, but how does that work? And, and our five-year play was to be a $100 million company. So we have some room to grow, but we're not thinking of this as just being content to where we are now. We want offices in California where you're sitting today. We want offices in Texas and New York. And you can't get there without the right people in place for sure. Yeah, Definitely. So one of our favorite questions to ask our guests is, uh, what are you reading right now? Great question. Uh, actually, somebody you may have met at our Inc. event, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, who yeah. um, I've actually had a chance to speak, uh, see speak on two different occasions. But his latest book, Jab, 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 Right Hook, um, I think of him as somebody who's the social media guru and icon and get some great ideas from, from Gary's books. And it was awesome to be able to interact with him in D.C. And then a gentleman uh, who we've had, come speak at our conferences, actually our kickoff conference last year by the name of John Gordon. Uh, I'm a big fan of his books. He wrote the, uh, a book called The Energy Bus, which is really put a narrative to the Good to Great uh, book. Um, and his latest book is The Seed, which is a phenomenal read. He also wrote a book where he spotlighted Cavaliero, uh, his one-word book. So he, Cavaliero is actually in that book now. He took our picture and how we kind of used the one-word theory um, for New Year's resolutions. So uh, John and Gary are both phenomenal authors. They're quick, breezy reads. And each time I, I sit down and I pick something up that I apply to Cavaliero's daily daily attack. 
Yeah, it's funny. With Gary especially, you can get so many kind of just almost these little kind of tangents to to things that maybe you're thinking about. They're just sort of right outside the realm of where you would have normally, you know, put your thinking. I get a lot of those from kind of following him just on Facebook. He'll he'll kind of post little things that are maybe the beginnings of an idea or he's kind of testing uh, things he's thought about. And sometimes they're complete disasters or you look at it and go, that's not going to go anywhere. And But then other times you can see traction, things happen, and then, you know, later on that maybe ends up in a book or, or what have you. So he, he's certainly a great one to, to follow and, and to think about the things that he's bringing up because he's just, I mean, it seems like he's going at another speed. You know, he's just well, it really does, and that's really the first time I had a chance to see him. I saw him, not knowing who he was, of course, and he'll tell you that when you meet him face to face. And uh, I sent him a tweet during the conference. Four hours later, as the guy's gone away back to New York, he tweeted me back. I don't know how he's, you know, he must not sleep very often, but he interacts <laughs> amazing on social media. We've yeah. gotten some great tips on that, and I think the power of branding uh, through Twitter and, and Facebook, and I know there's been some hits to those stocks of those companies, but I'm a big believer, and that's the future of how companies are going to brand themselves, and certainly for recruiting, it's been fantastic for us, but Gary, Gary's a phenomenal individual. Maybe get a chance to see him do a keynote speech or pull up his stuff on YouTube. Yeah. Very entertaining uh, and worthwhile for sure. Well, Bill, we're at the end here. I just uh, want to make sure I ask you, how can people reach out if they're inter- interested in learning more about uh, Cavaliero? Yeah, I appreciate that. So our website is Cavaliero.com, www.cavaliero.com, spelled K-A-V-A-L-I-R-O. As I mentioned, I'm a, I'm a big Twitter guy myself, so you can reach out to me at Bill underscore Pepler uh, on Twitter, and Pepler spelled P-E-P-P, all P's like Peter, L-E-R. Uh, in LinkedIn as well. So I appreciate uh, you, your time, Chris, and uh, don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, I think it's great that you do this for your listening base. Yeah, and thank you so much for being our guest, and we look forward to having you back, getting an update, and find out how you're doing to that uh, trajectory to $100 million. Absolutely, Chris. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Don Kohler is coming up next after this quick commercial break. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. 
Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast of this show and listen to past shows by visiting octalkradio.net and clicking on the Shows tab, or you can visit talenttalkradio.com and get uh, all of our episodes there and listen to them anytime you want, as well as on iTunes and Android. Uh, we've already massed a huge following, as we mentioned. We're almost at 22,000 uh, listeners and subscribers, and we really appreciate everyone uh, being part of the show. So thank you. My next guest is Don Cole, the president and CEO of the Inside Coach. Don't forget to tweet your questions live right now. Just send them to PeopleG2 and use that hashtag Talent Talk. Don, welcome to the show. Good evening, or good afternoon, I should say. I guess it depends on where someone's... the other side of the world. Yeah. <laughs> So I guess it depends on where someone's listening from, but uh, yeah, right. if uh, it's the afternoon here in California for everyone else, it could, who knows, but so Don, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and of course uh, your company, The Inside Coach. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, the Inside Coach is really a talent developed organization and uh, I would say probably the seeds of it started way back when I, I started my first company at 23 years old and uh, I'll age myself. That was the first year. PCs hit the desktop. Uh, at the time, I was selling PCs, and what, what a couple friends and I noticed right off the bat is that they were about 10% of the time just dead on arrival, and there was really no solution to to repair a PC at the time. It was, you know, pick it up, take the box down to a local computer land, and wait two to three weeks. So we, we hit the market with a four-hour on-site respond and repair service contract which means if you had a PC and you were under contract with us and the company at the time was Icon Computer Corporation, we would be, you would be up and running within four hours. Uh, it was just one of those, you know, hit the, hit the market, right time, right product, and that took off. Uh, I'd like to think of ourselves as the first geek squad. Uh, we grew that through the state of California, had, a, you know, about 100 technicians at one point in time. And what I really noticed in my own business was we were, promoting people because they were technically good at what they knew how to do, but they didn't know how to manage. And we didn't figure that out until, you know, three tiers of management later, and then we started to have some of the systemic issues that one has when they've got leaders in place that don't have any skill to lead. And as a result, we um, we really just reinvented our company around a management platform that really helped empower the people that worked there and as a result, it just took us to the to the next level, and and it was one of the reasons the company on the East Coast uh, that purchased us was was really interested in in the way we had structured our managers and and developed our leaders. So after that, I uh, a company had asked me to come in and and work with their leaders, and that's how the coaching started. And I I uh, I just haven't looked back. It's been a great career ever since. That was about 18 years ago. Wow. As an entrepreneur who's you know really founded and, and led three companies, what do you think are some of the keys that you can identify that you know helped you really lead them and be successful in each of those ventures? Mm. Well, I would say you know the the folks that I work with that are that are really successful and and I think this is true when it comes to the companies that that I've started, it's just sheer determination. You know, you just, it's, there's a stubborn determination that comes, comes with it, and it's, if failure just really literally isn't an option. Uh, you know, the first company wouldn't have far to fall. At 23, you don't have a mortgage or, you know, there wasn't a lot to lose except our pride. So it was, you know, you hit obstacles. Everybody's going to hit obstacles, and you just find ways to work around it. You know, you scale back, you scale up, you scale sideways. You just do what it takes 
to, you know, you relook at the market and what you're trying to do, keep your eye on the vision, and you just keep going. Uh, I, I think it's it's more than everything else. It's it's not even the smartest people get ahead. I think it's the most determined people. Yeah, I mean the termination component. It sounds like it. You know, something that a lot of people have talked about, and you can certainly see those people who were refusing to give up or refusing to take no. Um, you know, certainly, there are some other strategies that might help you be more successful. But as a backbone, as a you know, kind of the base of where your your motivation comes from, that that can be huge. So when you go in and start working with companies now uh, through the Inside Coach, do you see things that tend to be you know pretty similar for people who are doing well? you know, or maybe for people who are doing poorly? I mean, I'm not really sure what your engagements are. If you're coming in and, you know, kind of helping people move on with particular initiatives, or are you coming in to really help someone who's struggling within an organization? Uh, maybe you can answer that and then maybe talk about what are some of the similarities you kind of see between people from different organizations. Yeah, that's a good question, Chris. I mean, my entry point is really as an executive coach, primarily. Uh, that's the majority of, of the business. More and more, I think HR is, is, is really being wise about who they're investing in for coaching. So I don't take the turnaround cases. In other words, if it's a check the box because our attorney has said we need to put them in coaching before we can, you know, send them out the door, I don't take those because it's just no win and why would you put that kind of investment into somebody? I mean, they do it obviously to, to, for legal reasons, but the, the, the people that are the leaders and the HR folks that are really strategic these days are putting their high potentials in coaching. Uh, the people that they are going to, that they want to help take the company to the next level. And what I find with that is it's like lighting lanterns. If, if you've got, you know, four or five managers in, in coaching or leading leaders in coaching, all of a sudden what happens is, you know, each of those departments get better because that coaching, the, the great thing about it is, the person you're coaching then becomes the coach for everybody below them. And you can just feel this pop in the company all of a sudden taking a lift. And the lift is then sustainable because the people that are the internal change agents are then those leaders and managers, those high potential uh, individuals that are then coached to take their game to the next level and then they're taking the company to the next level. It's very different than a consulting model that can at times get dependent on the consultants. Uh, this is all about empower your leaders, get them to be fantastic leaders, and let them lead your company. So, you know, it sounds like you're, by doing that, you're allowing the, those managers to really not only improve, but also probably take the company's goals and the company's initiatives and be able to, uh, you know, f effectively communicate them better to ensure that the departments are taking on those things better so that there's more of a kind of a cohesive uh, you know, kind of synergy happening within the organization. And, and, you know, like you said, those little departments start doing better. And if you're having four or five in there, you're having, you know, a lot of momentum really getting pushed through very quickly. So I'm kind of wondering from a standpoint of companies, core values and culture that t typically begins with at you know, the management level. I mean, it may at the top be really designed and, and thought through, but then through the managers, that that's really where the example is set forth and put through. Um, maybe what are some of the things that you identify as from the consultant coach perspective that, you know, when there's a need to do something to really change the culture, culture, you know, how do they do that? How, how does that the management, you know, go in and be able to effectively communicate that and really ha allow that to happen? Well, if you're really, ta I mean, are you talking about a cultural shift within an organization? 
Well, maybe we should simplify it and say, you know, for an organization where maybe they've already established their culture, they've already got an idea of what they want, but the problem is, is they're not effectively communicating it, you know, mm-hmm. downstream. It's not right. with new people coming in the door. They don't understand. Uh, maybe that, that thing about culture was some idea we had five years ago. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with what they've identified. They're just not living and breathing it. Right, right. And, you know, we do see that a lot. And, and the reason why is there is it's somewhat common out there, unfortunately, that there's a disconnect between senior leaders and middle management. Because we do a lot, we spend a lot of time with the senior, senior leaders. So VPs and above, you know, they're taking their retreats and, and they've got coaching going on and they've got all kinds of things. But then there seems to just be a missing link between how do we get the mid-managers to buy in, to push it down, to understand the goals, to be able to tie the individual efforts of the employees that are reporting to mid-managers into how they're making a difference based on what the vision of the company is, uh, the metrics of the company. And it's, you know, a lot of companies are just operating in this this, um, disconnected way. And, you know, I, as much as I, I, I enjoy the senior level management, I think if you really want to take your company to the next level, focus on your mid-managers. Because if we can push with the senior leaders, all the, the development we've had on the senior leaders, and we can start, we can start, you know, changing the DNA of the middle management, then you've got them affecting rank and file, which is where the execution is occurring anyway. Until we really tie daily efforts into, you know, the behaviors that are going to not only drive the culture, but create the results that we want from our company, we're really only talking the talk. So from what you're saying then, do you think there's a direct tie-in between the alignment of culture and that really happening and also then the the overall success of the company? I think that the tie-in of culture and the success of the company, if you want to look at your biggest leverage point, it's mid-management. Senior leaders have to set the direction, but mid-managers are motivating everybody to do the types of activities and behavior that's going to drive the results. So if there's a disconnect with mid-management, not, you know, yes, they see the vision or they've read the mission and they walked in the hall, but, you know, they're not privy to those meetings. They're not excited about it. They're, they don't, they don't have the same tie-in. They didn't get the same, you know, pumped up speech from the speaker that came into the offsite. All of that happens, but then it's really interesting how much those senior leaders tend to get excited amongst themselves, but don't really help to then ignite the next level down and make them a part of it so they can ignite the team. It's just, I see it time and time again, Mm -hmm. that disconnect between that top tier and middle management. You know, sometimes a part of the disconnect, you know, can come uh, just from a lack of of recognition or just the simple you know, pat on the back that, that people appreciate. Companies can go to great lengths and, you know, buying them Starbucks cards and giving bonuses and all these things that are nice, but a little disconnected. And all people, right. you know, many right. ways, one is just, you know, someone to say thank you, someone to pat them on the back. And uh, I'm wondering if, if you have any particular ways that you encourage your clients to really encourage those people who are working for them a- as a way to really drive, uh, you know, that success or those goals of, of that you're, you've really put forth in your, in your coaching engagement. Absolutely. You know, if you look at the core motivators of human beings, I mean, forget what level they're at, our, our two most intrinsic needs as human beings 
is we need a sense of belonging and we very much are hungry for a sense of making a contribution to something greater than ourselves. Those are two motivators the paycheck is never going to scratch. A good leader, a good manager, good mid-manager affects that in their employees. Through collaboration and praise and support, it helps individuals feel like they are part of a team, and it's through tying the individual efforts into the accomplishments of the greater company and how that contributes to the greater good of society that makes the individual on the, the individual executor um, it helps them feel good about what they do. An example of that, I had a software company, and, and we worked really at the department level with a mid-manager who was able to then take the mission of the company and break it down to say, what's the mission of this department? And the mission of that department was to, you know, build software, um, quality, timely software, to help increase the, um, uh, the production of pharmaceuticals. And, you know, once we got it all tied together, obviously by, by rapid testing of pharmaceutical drugs, you're saving lives. You know, you're getting needed medication to the market quicker. Each of those technicians, when they saw that their day-to-day -day effort in writing code was actually facilitating uh, software that brought needed medication to ailing people, now they're part of doing the greater good for not just the company but for humanity. You, you now have won their hearts, not just their minds. You've helped answer the, why do I go to work every day? Uh, and again, a paycheck is only going to be so much. If we can answer the big why as to why we do it and we can tie it into something that is relatable to other human beings on a bigger scale than that individual, we've got a winning ticket for motivation. Yeah. So you got them motivated. You got them, they're in coaching and they're improving. Uh, then the next sort of kind of component that that companies struggle with is is that what do you need to do to make sure you're keeping your your best talent? You know, and sometimes you can't keep everyone. Sometimes it's just the right thing for someone to move on, whether it's a new opportunity or, or what have you. But in general, you know, if you've, you're doing these other two things right, then what do you need to do to make sure you're keeping them? I really think that the um, you know investment in their development is is really key, and it's it's not just only you investing in their development and they're getting better and self mastery. Companies, I mean, individuals see that, and and it's interesting because I'm I'm only, I'm never hired by individuals. I'm always hired by a company, and and the people that I work with, it, there's almost a sense of there, there's such a deep appreciation that the company took the time to invest in them and develop. I'm not running into the folks that are, hey, now I've got this coaching behind me, I can go get another job. I'm very much running into the folks that say, I'm so flattered by the fact that they cared about me, asked about me, invested in me, that I want to take this investment and give back to the company. I want to, you know, kind of pay back the debt sort of, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So certainly uh, coaching, now that's, an, you know, uh, a higher end expense, but any kind of development, it's, you know, I, I go back to, having good managers and good leaders, you want to let your employees know you care about them, you care about their career, uh, you want to help them succeed, and you want to know what, what they're in it for. And not everybody's in it for upward mobility. Some people are in it just, you know, enrichment in place. They want to be more effective, you know, in their jobs. Uh, they want to be part of, uh, you know, perhaps a community project that is funded by the organization. There's all kinds of reasons, different motivators that um, keep 
people in place committed and bonded to their company. Uh, but the key word is bonding there, and people bond for different reasons. So we have to first understand what's in it for them and then help build programs that help bond them to the group. Mm-hmm. And if they care, if they feel that you care about them, if they feel that you're invested in them, uh, it's, it's hard to quit. You know, people don't quit their friends. Um, and if you befriend them and empower them, you're going to be a hard organization to leave. Well, we're speaking with Dawn Kohler right now, and she's been giving some great perspectives on what, what you're really doing from the, the coaching perspective. I want to turn now a little bit to maybe you more directly uh, and, and get some uh, perspective on, you know, on what makes you tick. And the first thing I, I wanted to find out was, do, do you think that if we think back to that, that first company you said you had when you were 23 or maybe back to your first job that where you were in a leadership position, do you feel like you've changed as a leader over time when you compare that? That, that first kind of perspective to where you are today? Uh, yes, I think I've done a 180 <laughs> from where I was before. So what, what brought, brought about that change then? I think the part that changed, it's just really, I, you know, I hadn't actually thought about this. The part that changed was uh, I had some, I got some feedback on myself. So as a coach, largely what I, what we do is we go out and we get 360 feedback and and what you find in 360 feedback when you go out and ask people or do a survey is the unintended effects of your action and behavior meaning you know you don't intend to be that way but whatever the way you're just showing up uh casts a perception that if you knew about you'd certainly change it and the big changing point for me was when the uh actually uh head of uh, of service came up to me, and, and he was a, a friend of mine and extremely competent, and he sat me down, and he directly reported to me. So I've, I've got to give him, you know, Mike, he had a tremendous amount of courage, the fact that he sat sat me down one day. And he said, I, got, I just have some feedback for you. And, you know, I said, what? And he said, you know, the technicians are scared of you. And, and I'm thinking, why would they be scared of me? And then he went on to say, you know, in a very kind way, just the way I carried myself. Now, at the time, by the time we had that many technicians, I was, you know, maybe 28, 30. I also had had three children by that time. So I've got three young kids at home. And if I'm walking through the office, uh, I was busy. I was preoccupied, usually with what the kids were doing. And if I'm busy and preoccupied, I'm not smiling. And I particularly, you know, my face in repros just doesn't look kind, I guess. And if I'm walking through preoccupied, other people that I would walk past would think I was angry. Mm-hmm. And it was casting this perception that I was not only angry, but I was mad at them. Because so often we can take somebody, especially if they're in a position of authority, and personalize whatever it is we feel is going on for them. So he sat down and he told me that. And I really recognized, wow, I have a huge responsibility here to the people that I impact every day just by walking in the office because there's, again, that responsibility with authority. And it just sort of hit me that, you know, I've got to be more mindful about the way I show up at work. Uh, and it was right about that time that I started to get interested in development myself, human development, what makes us tick. And then he and I really were the two that worked together to change the leadership style. And part, I mean, probably the biggest part of that change was me changing me. Uh, and that's now what I help other leaders do by giving them, you know, the, the process, it, it, you know, that feedback is what drives the process. And then from there, it's quite clear what strengths are working and, 
and then uh, there's an overuse of a strength or something, again, an unintended perception that's, that we can begin to apply some behavior modification to and change that. Oh, it's a great story. We love to hear those kind of really direct personal uh, reflections that uh, are great lessons for our listeners. Uh, one of the other things that, that our listeners love to know uh, is what are you reading right now? <laughs> I am reading The Buddha's Brain by Rick Hansen. And uh, I'm thrilled about this book. It's one of the best books I've read in a very long time. And the reason I like it so much is it's really, uh, it's a lot about the neuroscience that we're finding, uh, that through the MRIs and the imaging of the brain, you know, the reason they, they say the Buddha's brain is there's actually, um, development going on in the central cortex that gets activated by meditation or mindfulness. And we know that that builds a sheen that helps people be less reactive and, uh, in their lives and certainly in the workplace. What excites me the most about the book right now is it's not only, hey, this is what happens, it's very practical in how you can change it. And I'm all about, you know, practical ideologies that really do make a difference in people's lives. So I'm I'm very passionate about this particular book and uh, how I can then take this into my coaching uh, clients and help them to, you know, create disciplines that, that really not only – I mean, the, the premise is here, you can use your mind to change the structure of your brain. And if we can change the structure of our brain, we can change the way impulses in this very, you know, almost chaotic pace that we're at right now. It's breaking us all down. And so there's almost like a practice we need to, to em, embark upon that helps build it back up. That's why I'm excited about this book. Well, that's why we ask this question. We get such great suggestions. Uh from our guests, and I really appreciate uh, you, you letting us know about that, and I'm sure we'll definitely want to check it out. My, my final question for you today is, uh, how can people reach you or find out more about the Inside Coach if they're interested? Uh, well, thank you for asking. I can be reached directly at Dawn, D-A-W-N, at theinsidecoach.com. Great, and uh, we really appreciate you being on the show today and hope that you can come back and, and tell us some more stories. I have a feeling you have a few more in there that we didn't get to today. Um, and uh, Always have stories and we'd love to come back, Chris. <laughs> wonderful. That's about all the time we have today. Uh, thank you again to my uh, guests, Bill Pepler and John Kohler. Tune in next week at the same time, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, for Talent Talk brought to you by People G2 to hear from Martin George, the CEO and founder of the Language Training Center, and uh, Charlene Lubby, president of ITM Group. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. 